Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. We, we all, all share, share a love for Maine's environment. Every day, decisions are made that could impact our woods, waters, wildlife, and climate. Join us as we share stories of Mainers working to build healthier communities and protect what makes Maine so special. The last few years have delivered enormous progress on behalf of Maine's environment at the State House in Augusta. So, how is NRCM and our supporters gearing up to continue this momentum? And what are the priorities we've set for this year's short legislative session? This is your Frontline Voices host, Colin Durant, and I'm here today with NRCM's Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to detail some of those issues and bills we'll be tracking. Pete, thanks again for joining us. Always great to chat with you. Yeah, good to have you on. I really enjoy this annual tradition because it's just such a great way to introduce our listeners to the issues we're working on, we're sort of like hyper-focused on, and then how we plan to work together with you, our listeners, people who love the nature of Maine, to achieve really great things for our woods, waters, wildlife, and communities. Pete, I just wanted to start by asking you to give people some context. You do such a great job of this every time context into this year's short legislative session. Uh, You know, among other things, we expect it's going to be not dominated by several sort of big kind of hot button issues that are on people's minds. But how are you thinking, as someone who's watched the legislature for a long time, how are you thinking about this legislative session as we approach our work? Uh, Sure. So um, it is a buzz of activity over at the State House already. And for those who have not been to the State House, it's a fascinating place to, to visit. And I encourage people to come and watch the activity. Uh, lawmakers are moving in all directions. There's people from the public, from advocacy groups, lobbyists, uh, all either kind of bewildered or knowing exactly who they want to talk to. Uh, there's each of these committee rooms has, it's like a, a, a graduate level course in any topic you want. Um, all happening at once. It's more than a six ring circus. It's like, 12 ring circus like um and the fascinating thing is that it's all happening online all the time so you mm-hmm. can dip in and out of committee hearings and watch them admittedly sometimes they get a little boring uh sometimes they get a little bit uh you know heated but i uh, i think it's really fascinating and this is the short session and they're off to a quick start and they're trying to finish up their business uh processing more than 500 bills by April 17th. And there are some hot button issues. Gun safety is big, mm-hmm. housing, dealing with the opioid crisis, childcare, education, recovering from the December and January storms. There's a lot of opinions about all of those topics, of course, but also about how to spend the supplemental budget, which the governor has just given her preview. And that's the start of the process of figuring out how to how to craft the supplemental budget, which is one of the most important things they'll do in this short session. Mm. Yeah, I love that you mentioned you can watch it all online. I mean, I think we've said this several times. We've said this over the past couple of years, but just, you know, again, the pandemic obviously challenging in so many ways. But, um, you know, a positive note was that now, given how big Maine is, people don't have to drive hours to see what's going on or to testify. It's really made it a lot easier for people to engage in that process. Yeah, so every committee room is now equipped with two big screens. Anybody who wants to testify can can, uh, do so. They can sign up. If you Mm -hmm. need any information of how to do do that, uh, check with us. But you can testify from the comfort of your living room and 
deliver your three minutes and then check out and then continue with your day. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that is fantastic. Um, you know, of course, we're heading into an election year or we're in an election year. This is something we've talked about, sort of increasing partisan divide. How do you see this, you know, being amplified and or affecting our work or the work of the legislature this year? So it is an election year. Every uh, every seat in the, in the House and in the Senate here in the main legislature is up for election. Lots of new legislators will be coming in in November. It's a we have term limits, so there'll be forty to sixty brand new legislators. And so all of the ones who are running for re-election already are starting to think about uh, the fall campaigns and uh, and other candidates who are interested in running for the first time in seats that'll be open, they're all starting to jockey. So things do get, more partisan, uh, unfortunately, and they do get more charged, mm -hmm. and that can uh, that can interfere with other topics. You know, NRCM works really hard to make sure that every all the issues that we're working on, to the extent we possibly can, are nonpartisan, bipartisan. The environment is is not a partisan place. People enjoy Maine's environment, appreciate it, uh, no matter what your background is. But it does. It does make it more difficult at times, particularly in the final weeks of the legislative session. Mm -hmm. As minds are starting to shift towards the elections, people are getting, you know, a little, they're latching onto issues as possible uh, campaign issues and, and wedge issues. And we try to steer clear of that, but sometimes there is some, some, uh, some shrapnel or uh, collateral damage that causes, that's caused mm -hmm. by some of that election year frenzy but mm -hmm. we hope that doesn't happen but we've seen it happen in the past yeah yeah and as we do every year like you said we just put sort of put our head down and focus on those issues that we're focused on and you know uh work to bring together people as much as possible to achieve them because like you said it's not yeah. a partisan issue and we and, know and talk and, to every legislator regardless yeah. of, of of where they're from or what their party is exactly yeah um, well, so as you do every year, we, you know, we, we huddle, our experts huddle together here at NRCM and we identify the bills we're going to be focused on. There's a lot fewer bills than last year, um, but big picture, how many bills are we tracking this year and what are those top priorities you guys are really thinking about? So we're tracking, we've got a spreadsheet that keeps track of, of every step of every bill that, that we care about that may deal with the environment. We're tracking about 60 bills this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of those are carryover bills that where action wasn't completed last year. And so they've been carried over to this year. And then there's a whole bunch of new bill titles that were introduced this year. So um, that's 60 out of about, uh, as I mentioned, about 500 bills. Um, last year, we were tracking about 200. Um, and it was a longer session. So um, we had more time to do that. Um, and in terms of priorities, we're trying to pass the main trails bond that was introduced mm -hmm. last year. They didn't get final action on that. That's a big priority. We've got a bill to reform our natural gas distribution system to help uh, with the process of disinvesting from our fossil fuel infrastructure. We got a bill that made some progress today on uh, allowing businesses to, to have reusable uh, uh, package, reusable, um, uh, yeah, packaging for, for their customers so that they can um, take their, uh, take out uh, food with them in, in, um, in uh, some packaging provided by a business and then they can bring it back and get it refilled. So that's a great yep. thing. That's and there's awesome. a few other like, 
climate related funding and and um, policy initiatives we're definitely following closely and um plus more that we can get into in a little bit more detail as we dig down deeper yeah that's fantastic and i think part of what you you i i've heard you say about the challenge of this short legislative session is you, you, you know some of these big like big policy bills that we've tackled before like epr for packaging it's a little harder to get stuff like that through in a short legislative session because again we're on such an accelerated timeline and also we're dealing mostly with a smaller set of bills those holdover and then new bills but that's a huge threshold to like to to or there's a there's a lot of barriers to get through to actually get a new bill like considered by the short legislature yeah it's much easier in the long session to do something big and bold mm -hmm. and I, I i like that you you uh mentioned at the top of the program that that this has been a really productive period uh mm -hmm. for passing environmental uh legislation at the state house i would say in the last five years we've passed more than 100 uh pro-environment climate action bills and or spending measures it's been an incredibly exciting period and and many of the state agencies that deal with with these bills have these new responsibilities. They're moving into implementation phase, rulemaking, and you know many of them are are, are kind of urging a, a bit of a pause um, while they uh, uh, kind of get their arms wrapped around their new responsibilities, and that's important too. So mm -hmm. you can't you know just legislate. You also need to make sure that agencies keep um, keep up with these new responsibilities as we're as we're moving forward with additional safeguards for our environment. Yeah, that's such an important point is that like work behind the headlines, right? Yeah, we, so we send a out a press release or we send out an email, we pass this new law and then sometimes it takes years to implement it. And our experts are right there in the room making sure that that, that what's getting implemented is what we intended, what, what like people intended and lawmakers intended to happen. Right. Yeah, so that a, can be as strong as possible. It's a big, it's a kind of a, it's a, it's a long sequence of activities. Mm. You know, there's the coming up with the idea for the bill. There's the building support for the bill. There's the passing the bill. And then mm. the agencies that have responsibility for those bills sometimes have to develop the rules and regulations and those come out in a draft form. So we're following that all the way through the process until those are adopted. Sometimes those go back to the legislature to be adopted before they are finalized. And then there's, watching the implementation and sometimes even need to pay attention to enforcement and yeah. make sure that the agencies are doing what the legislature intended uh, to be done um, on those bills. So NRCM is following every step of the way of, the, of, of that big cycle of, of policy change. Yeah. Well, so of course, we're already well into January. We're recording this at the end of January. Um, it, and it was already been, as anticipated, extremely busy for our team at the state house. I know our climate team, um, you know, it, uh, attended several briefings. Uh, there's already been hearings on, on the natural gas bill and reuse bill you mentioned and others. Um, so can you just give us, you know, you're often on the ground in there. Give us a sense of how January w w was for us and some of the activities that we undertook in the state house. Yeah, there were, there were days where there were two, three, maybe four of us over the state house on the same day. And I think we've testified on more than two dozen bills already so far. And work sessions are happening at a, at a fast pace. The, uh, the so-called presiding officers, uh, and those are the, that's the Senate president and the speaker of the house. Um, they set the, the calendar and deadlines and they, uh, 
have informed all the committees that they're supposed to have completed action on the 400 or so carryover bills um, by the end of January. So um, none of, you know, the committees are barely going to meet that, you know, and many are not going to meet that deadline, but it did, it did force them to schedule lots of bills, lots of work sessions, lots of activity. So it's been a pretty frenzied pace, um, kind of hard to keep up with uh, sometimes. And that's mm -hmm. uh, that's an adrenaline rush right there. <laughs> like, I bet. You just got to, oh my gosh, they're scheduling a work session on that tomorrow? Okay, here right, we go. Let's go. Let's go talk to those legislators. Let's see what they want to do here. Um, well, so one of those bills that got a hearing was the utility gas bill that you mentioned. Um, I'm curious, can you just dig a little bit more into that about why we've identified that our climate team has identified that as a priority. <clears throat> and I think it's also worth noting, um, you know, that we're partnering with the office of public advocate as well as our allies on this bill, but that's a really unique partnership that I haven't seen in the, at least in the last couple of years, working really directly with the office. I mean, we always have worked with the office, but working directly with the office of public advocate on a bill um, you know, uh, to address ratepayer impacts, like you said, and the climate impacts of of natural gas. So just dig into that a little a little bit, if you will. Sure. So at the big picture, obviously, we have a serious climate change crisis, and it's causing significant impacts here in Maine and around the world. Um, not only was 2023 the hottest year ever recorded, but we also have fresh examples from these storms that happened in mm -hmm. December and January that the climate crisis is having impacts now, like mm -hmm. really significant, expensive, disruptive impacts. So we have set some ambitious goals. We put in place a climate action plan that is is very strong. We are uh, we've set ourselves up to to try to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions by eighty percent by twenty fifty, and so that's the big picture. We're trying to disinvest from fossil fuels, reduce our use of, of fossil fuels. And unfortunately, the natural gas utilities that operate in the state, operate in the state their financial um, goal is to expand the infrastructure for fossil fuel distribution of natural gas to homes, to new municipalities. And they would like to put the cost of that on the ratepayers. Mm -hmm. And so the average natural gas distribution pipelines have a an average economic life of 50 years. So there's a these two things don't fit together. Like we're trying to drastically reduce our carbon emissions, drastically reduce our use of fossil fuels, and the gas utilities are trying to expand their uh, system. So we are working with the Office of Public Advocate. We um, we uh, do have a bill that we've been working on. It has had a public hearing. It's going to go to work session in the next few days. And we would like to end the existing subsidies that are used uh, to add new customers to the natural gas system. We don't think that these utilities should be expanding into new municipalities where they don't already exist. We want to look at alternatives for the natural gas utility workforce, look at geothermal energy, um, as a potential transition uh, area for them to work. And we need to, to study and get a better sense of what are the indoor air quality and health impacts of burning fossil fuels in our homes and businesses. Natural gas is methane. Methane is a super pollutant with as much as 80 times more warming power 
than carbon dioxide. Um, so it is a big contributor to the climate problem. Maine can do its part in starting to phase back or at least not keep expanding mm. our natural gas distribution system. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, we actually saw this firsthand in our neighborhood where uh, the local gas utility wanted to expand into our street because they haven't yet. And their materials were pretty aggressive and, and you know, wrong per the points you were talking about. They were talking about how I, I could combat climate change with natural gas and it was healthier, which, you know, like you just talked about the sort of the science and the facts don't hold, hold that, that doesn't hold up when you look at the science and the facts, especially, you know, with kids, the indoor, I'm a little concerned about those studies that show the indoor air quality um, really degrading yeah. when, when you turn on your stove. Yeah. And one um, thing to keep in mind is, is, is more and more people start switching to high efficiency electric heat pumps mm -hmm. and start um, then in, you know, and kind of shifting away from fossil fuels, then there's fewer ratepayers who are going to remain on the natural gas system. And each individual ratepayer then has a larger burden to pay mm -hmm. to cover the costs. So this really is about protecting ratepayers from the fossil fuel industry's profit-driven preference to yep. shift these costs and keep uh, those ratepayers paying kind of the sunk costs of, a, of, of this distribution system while the rest of the state is moving on to uh, what's called beneficial electrification. Yep, yep, 100%. Um, just shifting gears here, you've identified, you just identified competition for some uh, funding as something to watch. What's What do you sort of see as the state of play there? Um, you know, I know part of the challenge, like, like you said, was uh, making sure that our, you know, our state agencies have adequate funding to, to do what we need them to do. Our state agencies are definitely stretched thin and, uh, and just the, the, the salary levels of positions in, in state government are, are too low. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's causing challenges for all of state government to recruit the employees they need. Uh, so if you're listening to this and you want, you, you want to help make a difference, look, look for some vacancies at, at our state agencies. Mm -hmm. There's lots of them and plug yourself in. You may not get paid as much as you could in the private sector, but it's really meaningful work. And uh, so that's just the plug. So there's a ton of competition all the time, every time uh, the legislature's in session. So that's not new. Um, there's always more ideas of, of ways to invest in our, in our society and in the needs of, of Maine people. Um, then there is available resources. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of good ideas that ended up on what's called the appropriations table at the at the end of the last legislative session. So this is bills that pass the committee, they pass the House and Senate, they go to the appropriations committee, and they sit there. And last year, there were hundreds of these bills, and the appropriators then at the very end decide, okay, we've got this much money in last year was like $20 million. And they had about well over a billion dollars worth of bills competing for that. And so many of those bills were carried over to this session and they're still kind of waiting to find out whether they get money. You know, just a few good ideas that passed through the process that we testified in support of. There's a bill that would create an outdoor school for all. This is kind of an exciting bill that is modeled after a program in Oregon they would get uh, fourth through eighth graders 
into these immersive outdoor learning experiences. Mm -hmm. But it would be about a $6 million uh, budget to do that. It would be fabulous. It would be um, have lifelong value for those kids. It's going to compete. Maybe they'll get, you know, I think they're trying to get, you know, not $6 million, but less than that. The original bill was going to be $6 million. Um, there's also some, uh, there's a bill that passed that would ensure that the Department of Environmental Protection, as they develop rules and regulations and policies, are doing a much better job reaching out to historically marginalized uh, communities and underserved communities to involve them in the process. That would cost probably $500,000 a year uh, for the staffing and the outreach. So that is a bill that you know, needs funding. Uh, there's also a bill we've supported in the past to create a forest advisory board that would provide mm -hmm. broader stakeholder input into forest policy in this in the state of Maine. That would probably only cost $5,000 a year. Every bill, as it goes through the process, gets what's called a fiscal note. And that fiscal note is, is, is uh, what it will cost to, to implement this if it becomes law. And sometimes those fiscal notes are really what kills a bill. Like the idea is fabulous. But then paying for it is what, you know, is where the, the difficulty um, uh, sets in and the bill doesn't make it. So those are a few bills that we're paying attention to. We'd love to see them funded. They're up against, you know, millions of dollars of other good ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, and of course, the trails bond, which you talk about is a bond yeah. that would have to be discussed by appropriations. This would be a first ever bond to support construction maintenance of trails of all types statewide. This is an idea that came out of some um, some meetings we had in Franklin County, actually. But can you just, I know this is a passion project for you. You've worked really hard on it, and so have a lot of our team members. Can you just talk a little bit about that the trails bond this, this year? That is definitely one of our highest priorities to try and get done, you know, I know in this session. Yeah, absolutely. So we all love our trails, kind of love them to death. And some people think our trails are just self-maintaining and that they just appear out of nowhere. It actually costs quite a bit to, to build good trails. And we've seen from the storms that just hit that there's tremendous storm damage across the entire state. Snowmobile trails are just have lost bridges, have trees down, a lot of washout. Some of them will take years to recover just from from the storms over the over the last couple months, um, Maine has the potential to become like the premier state in the eastern United States known for our trails. No question. They currently provide, you know, billions of dollars worth of activity just between snowmobile uh, trail activity, which is valued at like six hundred million, and ATV trail use, which is estimated at seven hundred million a year annually. Both of those uh, support thousands of jobs. These are really significant economic drivers in rural Maine. And we've worked with lawmakers bipartisan on a $30 million trail bond. It would be the first time the state of Maine has invested in, it's actually the people of Maine would be investing in um, our trails. It would be seven and a half million per year over four years, managed by the Bureau of Parks and Lands. and uh, this would be used for a grant program to enable the design, uh, construction, and maintenance of trails of all types, motorized, non-motorized, diverse use trails. And it has received a lot of support. Uh, 500 
organizations, businesses, and towns representing every corner of the state have signed on to a sign-on letter in support of the trails bond. And we need a two-thirds vote out of the House and Senate to send it to the people of Maine on the November ballot so that they can decide whether they would like to invest in this program for grants grants to help towns and clubs and organizations uh, build and expand their trails. And there's just been terrific ideas and plans and visions that we've learned over the last year in communities everywhere, in Skowhegan and Rumford and Island Falls and Millinocket and Greenville and Down East <clears throat> that won't happen unless there's a source of funding like this. So if you haven't contacted your legislators yet to urge them to support LD 1156, the main trails bond, please do. Let's go. That's yeah. a big one. It, it's, it's, it's huge. And it is kind of astounding to me that there's not a dedicated, like this would be the first ever source of dedicated trail funding. And it, the other thing that's so great about it that I think we've talked about before is, you know, the opportunity to leverage additional funds, especially from the federal government funds that are already available and out there, but often, you know, the fact that you can have often a grant program like this, something like the trails bond unlocks even more funding for those local organizations, local towns that are looking to, you know, um, build or maintain their uh, trails. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about tribal sovereignty continues to of course be a top priority of ours and so many others, and especially for the tribes in Maine. Um, what do you see as the prospects and just remind our listeners why this is so important to NRCM? Yeah, this bill is extremely important to the Wabanaki Alliance, the tribes that include the Aroostook Band of the Mi'kmaq, the Holton Band of Maliseet, uh, the, the Passamaquoddy Tribe and the Penobscot Nation. And they have created a very large coalition that involves literally hundreds of organizations that are in alignment with their um, uh, desire to, to have their full sovereignty rights recognized. Um, through passage of a of a bill into law that would capture the recommendations of a task force that looked at the 1980 Indian Settlement Claims Act and identified a whole list of of changes that are necessary for the um, purpose of enabling the tribes to pursue their their rights um, as independent nations within um, the state of Maine. And, and, and it's, a, it's really a question of dignity and respect uh, of the tribes who have lived in this state for time immemorial, more than 10,000 years. Mm. And it is a, um, it is really the leadership of the Speaker of the House, Rachel Talbot Ross, working with the tribal chiefs um, and the Wabanaki Alliance, and we are taking our lead from them in support of a bill, LD 2007. It'll probably have a public hearing at the end of February or early March. <clears throat> we hope that it um, develops the momentum it needs. Uh, this is maybe the third or fourth year in a row that, that the Wabanaki Alliance and this coalition has sought to achieve a, a solid bipartisan majority in the House and Senate 
the governor uh, has vetoed previous versions of the legislation, and um, it is unclear to us what the position of the administration is on the bill. It hasn't been printed yet. We're not entirely sure the exact language, mm. um, but we will support this uh, this version as we have in the past. And and there's, there is a lot of bipartisan support, whether it mm -hmm. gets to the two-thirds majority needed to override a governor's veto, if that's necessary, um, we will see. And it may not be decided until the final days of the legislative session, is my guess. Mm. Well, let's hope let's hope that we can get that across the finish line. And, and as you mentioned, we take our cues from the Wabanaki Alliance. Uh, you can learn more at wabanakialliance.com or they're they're on social media to Insta, Facebook, et cetera, as as Wabanaki Alliance. Pete, any other last issues or priorities you want to highlight that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you want people to know about? We did a pretty we did a pretty good job, but I just want to make sure we didn't miss anything you want to make sure people should be paying attention to. Uh, yeah, let me just tick off a few quick ones. Uh, there's a uh, well, we we had an early win early in the session when a bill that would have opened up Maine's coastlines to industrial rockweed harvesting was defeated. Mm. So that was good because rockweed is a very important species that creates habitat for about 100, 100 other species. So um, that was important when uh, the there was a bill that was passed last year to look at um, are there ways that the state can reorganize its planning and technical assistance staff and capacity into a single shop, a single office. Um, some of this is climate uh, resilience assistance to, to communities. And a, the, a report came back and it looks like the, the governor is gonna propose creating a new office of community affairs mm. and consolidating a number of functions, including the, um, the uh, community resilience partnership program and also the municipal planning staff into an into an independent office uh, that will help communities with planning and climate uh, resiliency work. So we think that's great. That will mm -hmm. probably be um, contained in the governor's budget. And then uh, there's kind of a, a significant bill. I don't know what its prospects are. Uh, it's a kind of a truth in labeling bill about uh, the use of the recycling, the chasing arrows recycling symbol that is placed on lots of things that are recyclable and lots of things that are not recyclable. And I think we think we know that there are companies that just slap those those symbols on and deceive the public into thinking that these plastic products are recyclable when they know that it's a type of plastic that won't actually be recycled. And, and so consumers throw those into the wrong bins and they end up contaminating the the, uh, the plastic stock. And so there's a, there is a bill that that was introduced that would help um, uh, this matter by um, requiring that manufacturers only put those recycling symbols on products that actually can be recycled and will be recycled into another product. Mm -hmm. So in, in a way that then creates an incentive for the manufacturers to change their packaging. And a, a bill like this was passed into law in California, and we hope that something comes out of the bill this year. Yeah, that's so important. I mean, I think confidence in recycling is really important. And I know, you know, firsthand, we all know firsthand, we get frustrated and we get confused by some of those labels, like you said. Um, and so that seems like a really important one. And I, 
another shout out to that reuse bill, which you mentioned, which I know is really important to our sustainable main team that's increasingly thinking about how to really encourage opportunities for reuse. So we're creating less waste, especially pack plastic waste. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the story of how that bill came apart. It was, you know, uh, yeah. I think it was, a, um, you know, it was, it was uh, like one the, business called farm and fish and yeah. the owner, they've, you know, they're trying to, trying to serve fresh produce, you know, kind of meals. Meal so kit, it's like, yeah. is a kind of a subscription service where they have, you know, reusable packaging and, yeah. and, and basically the current guidance in a, of the department of, of agriculture, conservation and forestry prohibit prohibits her from doing this. Right. So and we've got, it, right. So go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm just going to add that that the the committee did report the bill out today. It looks like it's on track to 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 pass. So I think that's going to open up new Reduce. business opportunities for for businesses that want to. It it saves them money because they mm -hmm. don't have to pay for all of this disposable single use packaging, and it will be attractive to a lot of customers. It's going they'll they'll draw they'll be drawn to businesses that do this. Yeah. And then it, you know, potentially spurs other businesses that are involved in the sterilization and delivery of and manufacture of of reusable of these uh, reusables. Packaging. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love it. It's so great. And it just reinforces what we know, which is like so many of Maine's businesses are are kind of hyper focused on being environmentally responsible, just like all of us. It's like part of our core. And in this case, a local business owner wanted to do the right thing. There's a block in state law. We're, we're hopefully going to work with the lawmaker who who submitted it. Hopefully we can get this passed, like you said. And that's just such a positive change to enable people who want to do this, who want to who want to help people reduce waste, reduce waste. So that's great news. Good to hear that it it's fingers crossed moving forward. Um, yeah. What the last thing we always talk about is, how, you know, how, to, how can people plug into this work? Everyone's really excited now that they've heard all this list of work we're doing how can people plug into the work what's the best way for people to get involved and support our work well every year we do a state house action day this year it's going to be on march 5th there's information on our website uh please come and join us come to the state house where we'll brief you and then we'll take you over to the state house and and you'll meet your legislator and you'll have a conversation with them they're all interesting people and you can have a big impact we know that from experience people talking to their legislators has a huge impact. Um, we also have the an annual, I mean, a, a monthly climate uh, phone call, uh, climate action call. Uh, we just had one, uh, well, we're actually having one tomorrow. And I think we've got more than hundred people registered for it. And that'll be a great way to get a lot of input on activities related to climate and clean energy, and also quick updates on other, uh, other activities. So that's something you can, you can register for on our website. So, and just stay, you know, plugged into our website. We've got a tracking page, a bill tracking page that gives you updates on every bill. And if there's any bill there that is of particular interest or anything that we've discussed today, uh, please reach out to your lawmakers, your representative and your senator, um, and tell them tell what you think. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the essence of democracy right there. That's the and and as we've said so many times in a in a democracy like Maine or a, a legislature like Maine, it's that individual voice can make a huge impact because this is a citizen legislature, and um, you know the power of people to change like to um, make an impact is 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 
is is pretty astounding actually Be, uh it's so you know you run into a legislature in your town a legislator you know in town or or you, or you see them or you want to make a quick call or an email you know as we say over and over again but we can't state it enough that that has just such a huge impact um it shows that it's something that's on the minds of their voters of their constituents so um and it's that partnership with NRCM people like you who care about the environment that make has made us so successful is why we're continue to able you know able to continue to pass great things um so like Pete said head over to nrcm.org to learn um more about those exciting opportunities either state house action day those climate action calls you can also sign up to get our email updates where you'll learn about actions you can take um and so Pete thanks again for joining us yeah glad to do it it's going to be a great legislative session and you know as we do every year well I look forward to wrapping it up with you in a couple months and letting people know what we were able to achieve together right. um and as always thanks to our listeners for tuning in if you like what I uh, if you like what you heard please give us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and of course share it with your friends family neighbors you know that person you just passed on the street when you were listening to it as you walked down the road um and uh and look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment, Frontline, Frontline Voices. Voices. Since 1959, NRCM has been tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. To learn more about our work protecting Maine's environment, visit nrcm.org or follow us on social media at NRCM Environment.